We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. As primary elections go, this one was something. A sitting Republican governor has to fend off a strong challenge from the conservative wing of his own party. A Democratic chairman loses his day job and maybe the confidence of his party regulars. And members of two respected political families got scares and only one walked away unscathed. It's time for a look at the week that was and the general election to come with two astute political observers. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore and this is At Issue. It's a reporter's roundtable this weekend, and my guests have both been working overtime, preparing for, reporting on, and analyzing the results of this week's primaries. Andy Shaw is the president emeritus of the Better Government Association. He joined Chris Crydell and me in the anchor booth handling our primary night coverage. Heather Sharon is a reporter with The Daily Line. It's an online news service that pays close attention to communities. She's also uh, been with uh, uh, DNA Info, and thanks to you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure, Craig. Well, in this half hour, of course, we're going to look at uh, what just happened this past week, but we're also going to look at the races and issues uh, with an eye towards what happens next. So let me just sort of throw this out to to both of you. Uh, What do we make of a race between a uh, billionaire Democratic challenger, J.B. Pritzker, and a multimillionaire Republican governor, Bruce Rauner, who almost got nudged aside by a conservative lawmaker? This is is not your typical battle for the top spot. I'll let Heather give you the handicapping on the race, but let me tell you the the one thing I've said a number of times, this is going to be the most expensive gubernatorial race in American history. Uh, The previous record was held in 2010 in California when Jerry Brown ran against uh, businesswoman Meg Whitman. That was $280 You know, we're more than halfway there and we've only finished the primary season. So it wouldn't surprise me if we went up toward $350 million in an election. And as I said with you and Chris on Tuesday night, Wouldn't it be nice if those sort of dollars could be used for more meaningful things like education or health care or economic development, but they're just going to be used on campaigns and then they will disappear into the ether. But that's my first takeaway uh, of what's ahead. Yeah. And Heather? Well, it's interesting because had you asked, I think, most political observers three months ago or certainly six months ago, Uh, the betting money would have been on a Democratic Party sort of emerging fractured from a very rough-and-tumble primary and sort of Rauner sort of having the full force of the Republican Party behind him, which, of course, is mostly funded by his fortune. However, we're in a situation where I don't think Jeannie Ives, even, you know, we're taping this Friday morning, has yet to formally concede the race. They haven't spoken. And, the you know, two 
parts of the Republican Party, the more moderate wing and, and the Jeannie Ives right wing, are, are really at war still, whereas the Democrats all got on the same page and are singing from the same beat rounder hymnal, which, you know, can only sort of smooth the transition for the Democrats into the, the general election. And Ives has made it very clear that she is not going to endorse Rauner. She says she'll vote for him because he's preferable to J.B. Pritzker in terms of what he stands for governmentally. But given the incredibly nasty nature of that race, the bold-faced lies in some of Rauner's ads, we truth-squatted them at the BGA through our PolitiFact uh, tool, and he said some things that were just dead wrong, suggesting that she was somehow Mike Madigan's best friend when nothing could be further from the truth. I think she felt that it wasn't just a political battle. It was extremely personal, extremely nasty, and mean-spirited, and that's why she's not conceding or planning to endorse him. I guess the real question is what effect that has on the Republican Party going forward. One school of thought is that a lot of Republicans will just sit this one out because they don't like Rauner. And if that happens, it should be smooth sailing for J.B. Pritzker because there was a big Democratic surge at the polls on Tuesday night. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is one of those uh, times where Bruce Rauner needs the conservative wing of his party, perhaps more than he ever needed it before. But on the other hand, if he makes any moves away from the center and toward the right, he starts diminishing his chances for a victory in what is essentially a blue state that, that you know, it can be our, our state can be a little more conservative when it wants to be, depending on the issue. But if he moves all the way to the right to placate the uh, the conservative wing of the party, uh, he starts taking away from his uh, his possible vote totals. He's in a proverbial trick bag, Craig. It's exactly <laughs> right. Republicans tend to run right in a primary and center in a general. And if he does that, he does run the risk of alienating the conservative wing of the party and having them sit out the election, which would be devastating because he needs to add numbers, not subtract them. The Democrats expanded their turnout figures by a million voters. Republicans... Uh, we're actually down in terms of overall numbers. The good news Tuesday night, the best news of all Tuesday night, was the turnout. It was about 30%. We haven't gotten all the figures, but it seems to have doubled over 2014. And as a good government watchdog, I always applaud more involvement. And let's hope we can keep that kind of increased engagement in November. Maybe not for the right reasons, but at least people are paying attention Hopefully, they'll pay attention more to the issues than the misleading ads. Now, one, you know, we're talking about things being smooth sailing for J.B. Prisker, but I don't expect that they will be. Uh, You know, we, Governor Rauner spent much of his primary campaign uh, basically fighting the general election and running ads against J.B. Pritzker. Many of those ads featured FBI wiretap audio from his conversations with uh, with uh, now jailed Governor Rod Blagojevich, uh, Heather, I'm I, I think you're probably going to agree with me. I can't even imagine that all of those tapes have been used yet. I mean, that is the proverbial $64,000 question. You know, what's left of those tapes and what has J.B. Pritzker said to Rod Blagojevich, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was, um, that he will feel the need to apologize for some more? And has he sort of been given a mulligan by African-American politicians? Of course, he, you know, had to apologize profusely for sort of suggesting that Jesse White was a safe African-American 
American politician as opposed to Emil Jones, who was not. Um, so um, also, I think it hurts Pritzker every time one of us in the news media says Blagojevich because, you know, no Democrat looks back on the era of Rod Blagojevich and thinks, gosh, that was great. <laughs> um and, you know, ties him to the machine, of course. And I think you're going to hear Bruce Rauner continue to say Michael Madigan's name in any possible context as many times as possible to try to link him to the Illinois House Speaker. And I think I take a slightly different view here. I don't think that the tapes are going to hurt much. I think that the African-American community, uh, led by most of its political leaders, will rally around the Pritzker candidacy in part because he spreads a lot of money around to a lot of places, and it could be a lot of churches and community groups, along with politicians. And I think that they're Demo- the African-American community is largely a Democratic community, and they're not going to go Rauner's way. I think Pritzker's much more vulnerable on the tax issue and the business as usual issue. Uh, He wants to raise taxes and it's not going to be clear that it won't affect more than just the rich. And he, he made peace early on with the democratic party establishment, speaker Madigan and the unions. And I think Rauner is going to pound him on increased taxes, bigger government, uh, more union power, and I think that's going to be a strong argument. I'm not going to say it's going to prevail, but I think that's where J.B. Pritzker is vulnerable. People aren't going to worry about the offshore businesses and things like that. They are going to worry about the fact that taxes may be going up, government may be getting bigger, unions may have increased power, and in a state that's become increasingly uh, non-unionized, I think uh, Rauner has a shot if he pounds those issues. Well, and let's let's talk a little bit more about that machine because uh, the the business as usual in uh, in Cook County, especially, uh, got a real blow because the uh, Democratic committeemen just sort of seemed to just sort of give up on Joe Berrios, who was the chairman of the Cook County Democrats. Uh, he's been weighted down by uh, reports of uh, racial inequities in his current property tax system and patronage in the office, all his family members who work there. He couldn't protect his own daughter's uh, legislative seat. Uh, so uh, Joe Barrios is now losing his day job. Is this a case where the party itself kind of just shrugged and said he's got to go. Craig, some people can't be saved by a party or a machine. Uh, This reminds me of Todd Stroger, whose father was an icon in the Democratic Party, and he would have enjoyed the support of virtually all party leaders, all of the ward committeemen and the township committeemen. But his son Todd was so badly damaged by mistakes and missteps and misstatements that he was unsalvageable. And I think the same thing happened to Berrios. There was so much negative publicity, so widely uh, disseminated in so many places that he was toast. You could not save him with a precinct captain bringing a a garbage can to a voter's house. Uh, Too much publicity, too much negative stuff. And most importantly, Berrios has the most important job in Illinois in terms of a direct effect on your pocketbook. All the others are part of a collaboration on issues. But only the assessor determines the value of your piece of property, which determines your your tax bill. And when you hear how fouled up that system is, how unfair it is, how unprofessional it is, and how insiders make money and everybody else loses, that's a guy who's going to be toasted Election Day. I'm surprised Kagi didn't win by more than 10 points. 
it'll be interesting to see if um, Berrios is ushered into the great beyond of political retirement when the uh, Democrats meet coming up in the next several days to select a new party chairman for Cook County. I think the betting money right now is on Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle being asked to step in. Um, which is interesting because, you know, three months ago, had you asked me uh, what is what's uh, Tony Preckwinkle's political future look like, I would have said, well, I, I, the outlook is hazy. Um, but popped, she has popped by the pop tax. Yeah, but she yeah. she has been resurrected. And the people who tried to pop her out of her office uh, over the pop tax are themselves uh, yeah. now, uh, you know, being relegated to political history. Well, she got lucky and had an opponent who was relatively weak. Uh, had there been a very strong Democrat challenging her in the primary on the pop tax issue, I think she'd have been much more vulnerable. Bob Friaretti's lost his last two races. He was remapped out of his aldermanic ward. And I think he was just a relatively weak candidate against her. There were lots of others who could have given her better battles. She got lucky, and, and as you say, she won convincingly, and so she's back in the driver's seat. Now, I want to uh, give some credit uh, where credit is due to one of your colleagues, Heather, uh, A.D. Quigg, I know was doing a little bit of uh, research uh, on what the uh, committee men were doing, or com- and committee women, since that's an actual distinction in, uh, in party politics. Uh, and she was finding some evidence that the uh, committeemen and committee women were delivering their uh, their votes for everybody but the 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 party chairman. So Joe Barrios is not only the chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party, he's in charge of the 31st Ward operation. And he only won 49 percent of the vote in his home ward for his reelection to the assessor's office, which, you know, that is a startling statistic because that's his home base. And before we feel too sorry for Mr. Barrios (laughs) on his way out, I will point out that he is a moonlighter. He is a co-owner of a lobbying firm. And that firm was actively involved in the whole video poker legalization movement. And so think of how the play works. He goes down to Springfield. His buddy Mike Madigan and the crowd down there give him video poker. He makes a lot of money off the lobbying effort. This is just one of the many conflicts that didn't sink him until the property tax thing became a big deal. But he he is a walking conflict of interest. But... He still has the lobbying firm, and you can be darn sure that when he leaves his Cook County office, he will move into the legal. He'll move into the marijuana era area. He'll probably get into gaming, and there'll never have to be a tag day for Joe Barrios. In fact, he'll probably be happier and make much more money uh, after he leaves office. Uh, I do want to ask one other quick question before we uh, before we re-identify ourselves, and that is that we don't want to completely ignore the fact that there's going to be a vote in November. But oh, that yeah. But <laughs> uh, what's the big challenge facing Fritz Kage, who won the Democratic primary uh, and 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 is actually going to have to produce? Well, that's it. He has actually got to make some very serious changes in the way the assessor's office operates, and he has to demonstrate that it is no longer business as usual. Um, it's always easier to promise change during an election than it actually is to deliver change, because as Mr. Berrios himself yeah, found out, Derek. Because you know this 
messed up property tax system has existed for decades because it benefits the people in power. It benefits lobbyists. It benefits wealthy landowners. It benefits property tax attorneys who work to get these properties reassessed so they pay less taxes. If you can work the system, the system has worked for you. It's for the people that can't work the system that it has hurt. So Kagi will be held to account whether the the racial disparity of property assessments has been at least you know he's got to show at least some progress or he's going to have a hard time convincing voters to send him back for another term and he has a big advantage there was a new computer program developed with a lot of foundation dollars here in chicago that was intended to fix the system he has failed to implement that in the past two years he claims there's glitches in the system but i think all kagi has to do is take a real good look at that computer system Uh, see if we can get the glitches out quickly and then implement it. It is supposed to be the fix for the broken system put together by some really smart people with a lot of deep pockets uh, from foundations. It's sitting there waiting to be implemented, and that's the tool he needs to come up with a healthy system. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking about the local elections just concluded and those on the horizon with reporter Heather Sharon of The Daily Line and Andy Shaw, President Emeritus of the Better Government Association and our election analyst here on WBBM. Well, let's talk a little bit about Congress because we've had a little bit of movement in there. Uh, Dan Lipinski uh, held on to his seat, but just barely. Uh, does that mean that uh, people in positions like him have to uh, are able to stay the course, or do you expect to see Lipinski, among others, move a little bit more toward the center? Well, Lipinski doesn't have to move anywhere now that he won the primary. His opponent is Arthur Jones, the avowed Nazi anti-Semite kook, and uh, sadly, he did get some votes in that primary. But Lipinski can coast. And I don't think he's going to change his positions much, at least initially. He really is an ideologically driven guy, like his dad was. And he he, is, he opposed health care in the Obama plan, and he opposed uh, abortion. And that's not likely to change. What has changed is the demographics of the district and also some of the ideological bent of the district, uh, the, the movement on the southwest side and the southwest suburbs. There is a lot more progressive politics out there, a lot less of the old-line conservative Democrats. I I think he's fine. I found, to me, my favorite race of all was Bobby Rush running unopposed, even though Congress is now going to dock his pay. A court is going to dock his pay for being a deadbeat on a big loan, and Congress is fining him for illegal fundraising. He has about a half dozen significant problems that the BGA uncovered in recent years, and yet... In that district, no one even stepped up to challenge him, so he'll be he'll be in for another term. Now, in uh, the state representative races, uh, one of the other family uh, family members who didn't fare as well was Dan Burke, the state representative and brother of Alderman Ed Burke. He was uh, defeated by uh, Aaron Ortiz, who is what twenty six years Wait, old. He's in other words, Burke has been in that office longer than the man who ousted him has been alive. Well, that's the that's the emerging story from this election that is the subtext. It was the power of Chewy Garcia and this progressive Latino movement, which really went after Dan Burke and beat him, something people thought couldn't be done given the power of the Burke family and the allies on the southwest side. 
Mike Madigan is lucky. His district is 75% Latino, but he has made peace with Chewy Garcia. They are now on the same page, so Madigan will not be uh, challenged in the same way. The real question, they're going to go after Ed Burke next year. The, the goal is to oust him. He has run unopposed most elections in a district that is an, in a ward that is 80% Latino. Chewy Garcia has put him on the hit list. And if they knock him out of the city council, that will be huge. But I think Chewy Garcia on his way to Congress, heading this progressive wing of the party on the southwest side, uh, is going to be a force to be reckoned with going forward. Well, and I don't think you can talk about Chewy Garcia's political power without talking about the political power of the Chicago Teachers Union, who really, they really plucked him from an obscure spot on the county board and made him a citywide name that set up his run for Congress when Luis Gutierrez, you know, retired, shocking everybody. And not only did did Garcia win a seat in Congress, which is no small feat for, you know, somebody who is a Mexican immigrant who still speaks with an accent, you know, sort of turning all of those sort of stereotypes of Chicago politicians on their head. But he was able to, you know, pick his successor for the county board. Alma Anaya defeated Angie Sandoval, Martin Sandoval's daughter, a very powerful state senator who had his backing and his sort of backers backing, um, you know, but also, you know, he brought along um, Aaron Ortiz, who was a member of the Chicago Teachers Union. So the question that I will be looking at very closely is, what does the teachers union do in aldermanic races? That's they're certainly going to go after Burke, but who else do they go after, and who do they throw their weight behind in the mayoral election? Mm. I doubt it'll be Gary McCarthy, but we, we haven't seen the last of candidates. We'll we'll see a few more. Interestingly enough, if Paul Vallis runs, he had an extraordinarily good relationship with the teachers union during his tenure because, under a deal that made Daly uh, the the boss of the school system. They were able to avoid a lot of pension payment years. That gave Vallis a lot of cash to work with, and he was very generous to the teachers' union. That's why there was labor peace for a decade. He approved some really generous contracts, and so if he went, if he runs, uh, you can look at the possibility that he could get teachers' union back. I'm gonna, in. I'll, I'll disagree with you there okay. because I think Paul Vallis, after he left Chicago, went to New Orleans, where he oversaw so almost the entire privatization of that district, and has become sort of was a leading voice for many, many years during the Obama administration for charters and sort of and sort of that the teachers union feels like pose an existential threat to their continued existence. So I would be shocked to see if any of those good feelings, you know, left over from the daily administration continue to Vallis's run. For Heather, you've convinced me. Strike my previous statement. <laughs> Strike it from the record. I have misspoken. I Hopefully that will be my only no. significant error during no. this broadcast. I don't think it's, but it just shows you how quickly the yes. landscape is changing. And I think that is one of the one of the themes that we have going here, that yes, the, the, the ground is shifting underneath us even as we speak. Um, you know, I also, uh, I, I think that the pension holidays that may have pleased the teachers is also probably, for whoever wants to attack him, that's going to be one of the most potent weapons about, that's why we're in the pension and we've already yeah we we have now that's why there's a pension yeah, crisis we've already heard that from from Brahma Manuel's people saying um 
you know, the reason why I had to put a historic, massive property tax hike was because Vallis kicked the can down the road. And it's much easier politically for for Emmanuel to criticize Vallis, even if Vallis was just doing the bidding of former mayor, Mayor Mayor Daley, who, you know, Rahm has tried very hard not to criticize by name. Well, uh, let's give a brief nod to the entry of uh, Gary McCarthy into the mayoral sweepstakes, which uh, aren't being decided this year, but uh, will be... 341 days away, Craig. Yes, we're but, counting. Yeah, but we're going to be fighting this out starting starting yesterday, pretty much. Yeah, and let's see how this plays out. Uh, it's hard for me to see where McCarthy gets a base beyond some cops and firefighters. He certainly is going to wear the same jacket Rom wears with respect to the African-American community. He was hardly a stellar player during the follow-up of the Laquan McDonald shooting. He was hardly a reformer of the police department. He's an old-line copper, um, a New York Irishman. He had a lot of problems in Newark before he came here. There was a federal investigation beginning when we brought him here. And so I'm not sure how he does more than damage Emmanuel in some neighborhoods. But I think the real question is... Who else is going to come in? Rahm will have lots of money, but as I said, if Vallis comes in with what Heather said, maybe there is less incentive for him to come in because where is his base? I think we could see another African-American, probably a, possibly Latino. Somewhere along the line, Susanna Mendoza is going to run for mayor. I don't know if it's going to be next year or in four years, but I think that's the next move for her. We do have on the table... Uh, Troy LaRiviere, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. No, his you name. hit it right. You hit it. I... A former, a former high school principal who was Emmanuel's one of Emmanuel's harshest critics before the last election, an ally of Chewy Garcia, and perhaps that's who the teachers' union gets behind and some other progressive groups. But I think it's a little early to figure out how this plays out. Emmanuel will have lots of money if, by chance, the miracle happens and we get Amazon. I think both. Both Emmanuel and uh, Bruce Rauner get uh, an enormous boost, but that's, I think, a long shot. Well, let's talk a little bit with the few minutes we have left about how we get a better system going here where we're not having these chaotic and sometimes confusing uh, elections that don't seem to mean what they seem to mean. Well, well yeah, ahead, the, the, this election cycle was was among the craziest. I mean, we had the assessor's race where you had a candidate, Andrea Arella, who was on the ballot and then off the ballot and then back on the ballot. And then, of course, there was all sorts of chaos on Election Day where voters were being told votes cast for her wouldn't count when they actually were. So I think there are some very serious uh, good government questions that perhaps my friends at, at the BGA can look at because you know, when you don't even know who the candidates are for a ballot, it makes it very difficult for people to make informed, conscientious decisions. On our website and on the Crane Chicago Business website is my new column. I write one every other week for Cranes, and my column looks at all the ways we can fix the election system. And one of the most important ones, uh, and Heather alluded to it, we have to establish a timetable for resolving these petition challenges. There has, they have to be resolved before we print ballots. That's something the state legislature has to memorialize, put a date firm on paper for the resolution of the challenges so that it occurs before the ballots are printed and you can avoid this. But let me just throw out five or six other ideas, some aspirational, some real. Why don't we vote on weekends instead of Tuesdays? Why don't we move the primary to a warmer month instead of March? Let's look at online and mobile phone voting when we can do it securely and safely. Let's uh, figure out how to put some small donor matching fund programs in so that 
candidates who don't have the wealth of a Rauner or a Pritzker could conceivably get a little bit of financial help. How about a moratorium on political ads the week before an election? That's what Britain has and some other countries. Take the ads off the air for the final week so people can focus on issues. Or perhaps I'm sure the radio stations and television stations, <laughs> not, not, not the reporters, but the, uh, the executives will fight you And how about, requi- you on how about requiring radio and TV stations to provide some free airtime to underfunded candidates? My old friends at ABC, my former employer, wouldn't have liked that, nor would you, our friends here at WBBM. But I'm just saying these are good government things we should look at. Most important, redistricting reform. It's really time to take the map making out of the hands of politicians and let it be done by an independent commission so that we can have competitive districts. Do you know that below the top races on Tuesday night, more than half of all of the lower level races across the state of Illinois were uncontested. Yes. One candidate, that is unhealthy. It means it's a democracy that's not functioning properly. So I think one of the things we need to do in the next few months as we follow the campaigns is think about ways to clean up the election system to attract more voters and to attract more candidates and to attract more supporters of campaigns. Let's get AVR, automatic voter registration, up and running in time for November so we can add people to the voter rolls. Half dozen reforms to at least think about, and I'll be pounding on those going forward. And I will add only to that that we also need to find a way to get those things passed in a legislature that has heard many of these ideas before and seen many of them and rejected them every well, single time. You know, Illinois is better on election reform than many states. We've, we, we have early voting. We have easier registration. You can argue the Democrats did it to add numbers to their roles, but... Good government is sometimes good politics, as a first mayor daily once said. And I think if if people think there's something in it for them, uh, we can get some of these passed. Some of them are aspirational, but sooner or later. That's Andy Shaw of the BGA, and thank you, Heather Sharon of the Daily Line, for spending this time with us. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. Just follow the audio links. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.